Who's the person you turn to when you need advice? The person who gives you confidence and strength? The person who's been your biggest support? The person you shop with, ask their opinion and trust them implicitly? For me, it's... Hi, Ma. Hi, Del. As a mother and daughter, we know we have a close bond, but each mother and daughter relationship is unique and different, and that's exactly what we want to explore. Each week, we'll sit down with mothers and daughters and talk about their bond, from the ones who work together to others who have survived, shared passions, overcome loss, and in general, have a great relationship that is worth sharing. This is Mothers Mothers and Daughters Daughters Podcast. Hi, Mum. Hi, Del. Are we recording? We're recording. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was looking at her like, oh, is it happening? It's all right. After all this time, she's still not sure. <laughs> I could rely very much on you. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Just been a yeah, bit of a wet, crazy afternoon. It is. I'm literally sitting with my jacket on. I've got my beanie on. I've got my Ugg boots. Oh, my God. It's, it's just too cold. So cold. Yeah. So we're r- rugged up and ready to talk about our podcast for this week. It is a mother and daughter who are foodies. And when I say foodies, I think they're the original foodies. Well, foodies before, well, before it was foodies. Before even cookbooks. Yes. She said before cookbooks, before which cookbooks. was quite an amazing time uh, that it was all pre learned from family. Um, just to let you know, it is my auntie and her daughter, which is my cousin, obviously, um, and their whole lives basically have been based around food and hospitality. Hospitality, yeah, and also and and a lot of travel as and a lot of travel as well yeah, very they've done world, very worldly people and yes. uh, my I guess pre-covid obviously yes mm. uh, my auntie is well into her 80s but has been a person that has tackled takes on so much in her life she just loves to be busy doesn't understand the meaning of slowing down mm-hmm. which is great and she's, she's wonderful and and dragged her her husband along with it, which has obviously kept him very youthful and vital. I, I never think of them as elderly. As elderly. I, I still can't, you know, I still picture them as very, they are very young and sprightly. I know that makes me sound really old when I say no, that, but, but they are. They well, really very, are. Yeah, just, uh, you know, people to be admired because they just take on so many challenges and roles in life uh, and it was a – just a wonderful journey listening to them. Yeah. And I mean, Mel has had so many different iterations of her career. She now has Mia Kachina and she does food tours and she goes around Sydney and, and she's going to expand, I guess, when travel around Sydney uh, or outside of Sydney, I should say, is a bit more easygoing mm. and not so volatile, she will expand. But you can get digital versions if you're going to travel. I know she's working on one in Tasmania. I don't know if she's oh, finished okay. that yet. Okay. Yeah, you can download the maps and she's got all the pinpoints and wherever they go, We, I mean, they're great people to ask recommendations for food, anything food. Great. Uh, yeah. uh, and what amazed me is we were talking to them and they would probably be the only people that I would know that never get taken. Oh, my God, I felt so guilty after I never, that. never. They love going they to do. restaurants. They, they, it's not, yeah, it's not that they love to make everything. I think 
they probably would love people to have them over. And Mel was saying, love people to invite them over to cook for them. But they do. They're very in the food scene, but they don't have takeaway no. at home. No, which is amazing. Made Yes, yeah. made me feel like, mm. oh, my gosh, I, I cannot say that. That would be the same in our household, but – I don't think anybody, I don't think many people would actually ever say that in no, their household. So no. quite, and in, a, quite a tribute to them both. Yes. And so much, I mean, they are so much into the food industry that Rayleigh in her 80s went to Chin Chin before any of us ever did. Yeah. She was ahead of the trend. Yeah, just loves going to the latest loves. restaurants. Yeah. So they're very, very up on all of that. And, um, and now probably well deserved to be retired but Jordana was just saying I think it's time that maybe she writes her own cookbook I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to her after this I think she really should have a cookbook absolutely she's got a lot of recipes in that head of hers yes very capable and it was interesting when we first saw her uh, when we were doing our zoom meeting all like both Jordana and I like, oh my gosh, she looks like Maggie Beer. Do you know she's got the very short hair and the you know very statement earrings. And then her daughter Mel sort of joined and said, Oh my gosh, Mum, you look like Maggie Beer. We're like, oh, that's so funny. We said exactly the same thing. So yeah, she definitely has a a career as either Maggie Beer's um Stunt double. Mm, definitely. Double or body yeah. woman. Um, but also we are really going to encourage her to write a cookbook because I would love to have that as a family. Oh, that would be, be amazing. amazing. It would. Anyway, it's going to say it's going to be a, a wonderful and interesting podcast with them. They're yeah, very, very interesting. Recommend if you're hungry, eat before because you will be extremely hungry afterwards. I know I certainly was. Mm-hmm. And another birthday announcement for this week. It's <laughs> mum's birthday this week. Goodness me, lots of birthdays lots in our family. Of birthdays. Thank yes. you. So very excited to celebrate mum's birthday. Yes. Lovely. Another restaurant to go to. Another restaurant. Another lot of cakes. Oh my God. So yeah. many cakes. Yeah, too many birthday cakes. So yeah. many. But thank you for listening and enjoy and give us some feedback. Let us know. If you also think Rayleigh should come up with a cookbook. Lovely. Enjoy. See you soon. Tell us a bit about yourselves. Yes. Maybe Rayleigh, start first. I should start first. Okay. Yes. Rayleigh, where did your passion for your food start with and I would imagine you would start with your wonderful mother Sophie. No, not really. Oh. It was my grandmothers. grandmothers on both sides. Okay, well that's interesting. I mean one was a, a Russian cook and the other one was an American English cook. Both excellent. What were your favorite and, dishes of theirs? Oh well the American grandmother made most beautiful apple pies and my Russian grandmother made pirishki and pickled cucumbers and herrings and that's did why all that that's why you became food. so good at it. Yeah. Well I enjoyed it, but I actually wanted to be an ear hostess. Gosh. <laughs> really? I was too tall. 
Oh, really? So. That was a, a bad criteria. It's not funny. And the other way around now, I'm sure. Yeah, now it is, but I really wanted to be an air hostess. Anyway, I went to a uh, home science high school. Not that they t- taught me how to cook, but I was always interested in it. And uh, I never actually went to a uni or college to do home ec, but I ended up in the job because I applied in those days. You were called a home economist. Mm. I applied to the gas company, which I used to do demonstrations there with 100 people in the audience, followed by the Sydney County Council. Who, and that's how it started. Who, who were you teaching? Like what kind of people were you teaching? Uh, all sorts, men, women, young women. They, everybody used to come to learn how to cook before they got married in those days. And all the ladies used to come to learn new things, and we had auditoriums full of people where we taught them how to cook. And then I took time off to have a family, and eventually I got back into it by uh, default. Uh, A girl came into our business in a white uniform, and my husband said to her, oh, are you a home economist? She said, no. No, He he said, are you a nurse? (laughs) And she said, no, I'm a home economist. And he said, oh, that's what my wife is. And she said, oh, there's jobs going. And that's how I got back. I got into TAFE system. And I was there for a very long time. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, just getting back to Sophie, your dear mother, though she was a wonderful cook, though, wasn't she? Yes, she was. But she she preferred plain things. She didn't do things that were very alternative in her day because, you know, it used to be, what, meat and three veg in those days. Mm. She did cook brain, she did cook liver, but it was very basic food. She never cooked Asian, um, but she cooked washed, very Russian-y, you know, that sort of thing. Do you think that she cooked for the likes of her husband's taste rather than for her tastes? No, I don't. No, she cooked what she fancied. <laughs> yeah, because I think, I mean, Adam's grandmother, she would always do what her husband liked. Like she never liked mm. mushrooms and only when he passed away she was like, oh, I don't have to cook mushrooms anymore. And we're like, why did you cook them if you didn't father, like them? But, you know, different father times. Ate, my father ate everything. You put it in front of him and he ate it. <laughs> Except your mother was very well known for her orange cake, though, wasn't she? Yes. Well, that's one thing she was famous for. Mm. For the Montgomery Home Fate every year, she would bake at least 30 orange cakes for us to sell on the cake store. Goodness me. I'm and sure there was we, never one left. Yeah, no. no, there was never. We started at 8 a.m. and by 2 p.m. we'd taken $2,000 just on cakes that Melissa, Simone, our, my daughter's, and my sister and her daughter made, and it was very good. Very successful. How long did it take True. you to make 30 cakes? Like when did you start making 30 cakes? Well, my father used to help her. He used to do the whipping of the butter and the sugar, and then she would do the folding and put them in the oven. She had the oranges. They had their little routine. <laughs> and and had- so that was just Sophie's 30 cakes, and then mum would do her fruit cakes and all herb cakes. I'd do the plum cakes and mud cakes, and, and we have over 200, 300 cakes. 19 trays of lamingtons. I remember the lamingtons. They were delicious. 
And she used to take orders. People used to put in orders weeks ahead of time, one dozen, three dozen, two dozen. Oh, and then they would just pick them up from the fate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She bought cakes at $20 a pop, although when we were in Africa, South Africa, we saw them in the shop for $5. I was horrified. Gosh. What and now and now they now they're fifty dollars. Yeah, that's right. Or fifty five dollars. A lot of the community would make cakes. There was always someone who made kosher cakes, someone who made vegan cakes, you know. It was a whole community around us. People would drop off their cakes and then buy someone else's cake. Sadly, sadly it doesn't exist anymore. Mm. It's very different. It's very different. different. There but there is like a missing thing with cakes, I think, that there's just something so nice about having homemade cakes. Homemade cakes. Definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, that's interesting. I was talking to mum about when she wasn't working, when she had young kids at home, how did she make an income? And mum was very, you know, back in the 60s. I used to cater for people's parties. I've actually been clearing out my library and I found a book which had all the cakes I'd made for weddings, bar mitzvahs and Really? Very enterprising. Hundreds, hundreds. But anyway. Very enterprising. Mum used to make boiled fruit cakes, and I remember as a kid the dining room table covered 20, 30, 40 fruit cakes that people I, would order. That was for our time in primary school. We used to have a Christmas thing. But as a little girl, Melissa used to watch me and stand up on a stool at the kitchen sink and help. And she became very interested. That's great. I, I I kind of remember being at your place and and obviously yeah enjoying seeing that uh, passion that both of you shared, which was amazing to see. Enjoyed many of your beautiful dishes and cakes and yeah, very very privileged. Mm. Rayleigh, what would you teach? What kind of dishes would you teach when you were teaching home economics as as such? Oh my goodness, everything. I mean, I used to do fine dining. I used to teach, I mean, restaurant and wine service, Gerardon, silver service, cuisine knowledge. I taught every culture, food, <laughs> everything, covered everything, food skills, bread and yeast, cake decorating, outdoor cooking. And Melissa was the same. We taught all so, Georgiana, during the day, the daytime classes yeah. for people who were doing a home economic certificate, mum would teach them skill-based lessons. So whether it was boning a whole fish or how to cook a fillet or how to set a table or, like she said, wine service, that type of thing. Oh, and then at nighttime they were more for people to come along and be social. And back in the day at TAFE, people would bring a bottle of wine and you do 12 weeks of Italian, Asian, mm. you know, Middle Eastern, microwave, and um, everyone would cook together recipes and everyone would sit down together and it was very social. Natural yeah. fact, your father came to Chinese classes with Michael Collins and they learned to cook Asian food and it was quite funny because a lot of the people in the cooking class had never seen food like it and they'd all hoe into it and they go home and Harold and Michael were left to do most of the dishes and they weren't impressed. <laughs> well, I hope that wasn't me once because I, I did come to your classes. I, I, I don't know if you remember that. Where, at North Sydney? Yeah, North, Sydney? At, uh, no, North Sydney. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it was North Sydney. And I'll never forget you taught, um, you know, the pigeon pie. I said to my yeah. mother, what oh, on earth my, is a pigeon that, pie? That, uh, and I, 
Yeah, Bastille pie, and but it was known as I guess in the years gone by they probably used pigeons. I presume they don't use pigeons now; it's chicken. But that was that stuck in my. I've done it since. That was amazing. Yeah, my family's favourite. Oh, I just love it, honestly. So that to me was very memorable, and I was quite young then. Yeah, and you know that's a perfect. Uh, we've been talking in my family about using leftovers. And when you have a leftover chicken, you remove the skin, take all the meat off the bones, and you make a bechamel sauce. You mix in the shredded chicken. You put out phyllo pastry. You wrap it up with the walnuts and the Beautiful. icing sugar on top. And um, after Melissa did the TAFE course, and then she ended up getting work in so many different places. She went out to, remember the sausage skin factory, long, long way away? And so I freelanced. My career, I, I um, you know, with my influence from mum in food and with dad who he had his passion of photography and he had a dark room under the house. I remember that. And for, me, for me, it was always a lovely place to go and when I didn't have to do house chores, so I'd sort of go into the dark room and, um, you know, used to help Dad um, develop big images and, you know, photos. And uh, and from there, yes, I studied food and I used to stand there and the teacher used to say, today we're making short crust. And I'm thinking, I know doesn't that. everyone know how to make short crust? <laughs> yeah, and I took me a while to realise that, you know, what I had learnt at home was something very special. And from there, yes, I went into food as a food stylist and And spent many years in the studio. What was your first memory? I mean, I know because you obviously have always been surrounded by food, but what's your earliest kind of or first meal that you really can remember? Because obviously you were very skilled by the time you got to to learning how to cook, which you didn't Mm. obviously need to with your mum teaching you. Do you remember like your first kind of meal? You know, back in the 60s and 70s, it was unusual to have spag bol or stir fry or, you know, different cultures where most people were still doing the chops in the Mm. vertical grill or, you know, a barbecue or whatever. Um, There's a photo of me sitting in the sink and that's where mum used to place me. And, you know, I used to, she used to feed me the raw fish mince to taste and this to taste and that to taste. Um, I remember mum used to have dinner parties and I think I got 20 cents an hour. I'd push the chair up against the sink and I'd wash up the dishes at the dinner party and serve food and that type of thing. Um, And we were talking about this the other night, how generations, how it's changed. In those days, mum used to serve up on our dinner plates and, you know, whatever was sitting there, you had to eat everything on your dinner plate. Where these days we put the food out. Isn't that interesting? That's so interesting. I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday about exactly the same thing that went to a dinner party and there were choices because it was laid out. But I I agree. In years gone by, you didn't do fish and chicken and meat as, you know, separate things. It was just whatever went on your plate, that was it. Yeah. Nobody does that these days. My unless, kids don't even do that. Unless you go to a restaurant. My kids don't even do that. I have to give them options, otherwise they'll never eat anything. But it's funny. Things, are, yeah, times have definitely changed as far yeah. as food. I used to 
told if I didn't sit there and finish eating the liver, I had to stay until it was all finished, you know, lamb's fry. And you know, I had to get that. That's how strict it was. Well, well Rayleigh, <laughs> when, when the kids were little, were they like wonderful eaters? I mean, you had no problem. My children ate everything from the day they were born. Wow. They suck on olives and pickled cucumbers and herrings and they've always eaten everything. And Mel, same it's with really you. It's really important when the kids are young, yeah, when the kids are young to expose your kids to everything. Mm. And um, I never forget, Shoshi was two and she, or when she just started talking around one, she used to go, chicken and rings, chicken and rings, I want chicken and rings. And mm. I used to think, what is that? Mm. Like, what is that? And then I'd lift her up and we'd go into the fridge and it was herring, pickled oh. herring. Oh. <sighs> Oh, she used to call it chicken and rings. Oh, that is so funny. And, yeah, and so like mum, my kids ate everything and, you know, we ate everything. I had a tradition, the first solids my kids ever had. Do you remember those little chairs we used to hook onto a table? Yes. yes. <laughs> we used to take them to Chinatown and we used to have yum chart. That was their first solid food. Oh, my gosh. Well, Can you imagine that? Can was, you imagine my kids? Uh, be lucky was that, right? rice, was chicken buns, you know, it was... Um, That's what's important. People don't realise. You don't just introduce... I see people with young babies now and, oh, they're not allowed to give them this for six months or 12 months and all of that rubbish. Yeah. My grandmother said to me, sorry, my grandmother said to me, Gary was hungry and it might have been not even three months old, she said, get rice cereal and make it very wet and milky and give him a solid. And that's how my kids ate solids from the beginning. It's a, look, it is a good thing because realistically you realise that, yeah, if you're too prescriptive with them, they well, know. That's yeah, All these oh, I know. We, we suffer with it. Mum suffers with it. The boys are shocking. I, I don't doubt that at all. I'm hoping they will grow out of it. But yep. it is it's amazing. If you do expose them really early on, they do they just they'll ask for everything and anything and nothing new is foreign to them because they've always been exposed to different foods. Yep. So we're ever limited was we never had soft drinks, cordials. Uh, maybe for birthday parties, but um, but everything that you served was absolutely was fresh produce, obviously, of course. Except, I guess, if you went out to Yamcha, but still, yes, you couldn't buy Asian vegetables in the supermarkets. Uh, Epping Highway was all market gardens sixty years ago, and if we wanted Asian vegetables, you have to go to Chinatown. You know, you couldn't buy an eggplant in my early days. Anyway. It's all changed. Well, uh, certainly a lot more. Well, you've got so much variety now and it's all about fresh po produce and obviously that's been obviously your yeah. passion as well, Mel, you know, everything as far and as. And I was with Melissa at TAFE. Uh, we both work together quite often and when students were enrolling, they'd come in and they say, which classes are Melissa and Rayleigh taking? They always want to join our classes. And then Melissa went off and was doing gourmet and continue, Melissa, before she became a tour guide. Well, but you also did also cooking classes. I went to yours as well. Many, many of them. They were wonderful. 
Yeah, so uh, I was a food stylist during the day and then I would lecture at night. So in my car, I'd take off my clothes from being in a studio all day long and then in the car at the red lights, I'd put on my college uniform and then I'd go and lecture. And at one stage, we were living in Palm Beach and I'd then drive to Palm Beach at night in the dark and uh, get home at 10.30, 11 and then go back and do the whole day again the next day. Goodness. She yeah, so I, um, from the studio, you know, I worked for Gourmet Magazine. I did a lot of TV commercials. I did a lot of cookbooks and uh, it just got too busy. I started my family and I used to take Shoshi to the studio. I'd set up a porticot. I was in the middle of a cookbook when I gave birth to her. I was back at work full time oh after three weeks. Oh, and I, I beat you. Assistant. I was going to say, this, that sounds familiar. <laughs> It's all right. Shoshi and I turned out just fine. <laughs> and Shoshi was in the studio and I'd feed her and then my assistant would burp her and I'd continue <laughs> on my day and then I'd take her home to a babysitter and, yeah, I can't tell you how many babysitters I've been through in my lifetime. I was one of them. The kids were a bit older, but I was one of them. I loved it. it was. I was going to say it was, it was excellent. I mean, having four kids, I think Asha was like six months and then – and the twins would have been two. Yeah. And then Shoshi would have been, what, four? Yeah. Yeah, it threw me in the deep end. It was great, though. Your kids are very well behaved. So, you know, it was very easy. <laughs> but what what did you teach together? Was there something specific that you would always teach together at college? Well, you know, at East Sydney Tech, there were kitchens and they were all beside each other and there was a walkway <clears throat> through all of them. And I suppose early on, like I started teaching when I, uh, when I was like 19, 20, when I was straight out of college. And I probably called mum, mum once or twice and everyone would laugh. So then I started calling her Rayleigh. So... Now it's quite an automatic thing and it's really interesting. When we are in a kitchen together, I will call her Rayleigh. Well, and like, my kids, like what you, you just did. Rayleigh? Yeah. Oh, so your kids, your kids call her Rayleigh? No, I do. Oh, they well. want to know. Why? Something Why? in my head, when I'm in a kitchen with mum, mm. I call her Rayleigh still today, 20, 30 years later. Isn't that funny? Because Rayleigh seems to call me mum. No one was meant to know. <laughs> But I'm sure they all they all did. They would have known. Yeah. So we did teach together and we also taught separately. Uh, and then when I had Phoebe and Izzy, I sat there at home for six months like this. I didn't get off the couch really feeding my kids. And I sat there twiddling my thumbs. And that's when I created Mia Kachina, which is almost 30 years ago. Is it really? It's oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So that's when I started my cooking school from home and I ran daytime classes and nighttime classes and it was super hectic. Imagine having a dinner party, two dinner parties a day. No, thanks. And no, thanks. And having, you know, and having having three kids. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it is. It's sort of like, you know, you were definitely ahead of your time, in ter- you know, because realistically, other than cookbooks, there wasn't really much in terms of ha- learning how to cook. So if you didn't see someone physically doing it, it's not like you can just pop online and, and have a look or see comments and things like that to see yeah, how to do it. 
there wasn't any cookbooks in the country. My father would raid old bookshops and bring me home an English cookbook. Really? There was nothing. Women's Weekly started and that's when people started following recipes and then you've got all of a sudden the Asian cookbooks came out. I mean, there was nothing, absolutely nothing. In fact, there was no television when I first started. Mm. And I was on one of the first cooking programs on television with my boss from the gas company and it was very basic. All of a sudden, I mean, it's a whole new world. <laughs> whole new world. And, whole new. and I guess sadly, I mean, everybody still loves a cookbook, but everybody just goes online now. Yeah. You know, I was going to talk about, you know, women and careers and working and having a family and working. Dion, you've worked your whole life. I have. I have. I, I, I've, uh, known mom, I, I've never known mum not to work. Well, except well, in the school holidays. Well, what I was saying, which I've spoken about before, is that you said that you went back to work when Shoshi was three weeks old and I went back to work when Jordana was two weeks old. It's not a competition. No, no. As I'm Mason just saying say. I have said that before. <laughs> yeah, I've worked all my life. Yeah. I wouldn't know any any different. I mean, that's what I'm just used to and and now we've just added this to our careers yeah. as well. I think it's a diff- I think it was a different time. I think now people are taking maternity leave as a chance to pivot, which you you had done. It's just you know, it's just no one talked about it as much. It was just something that you found a passion for and you did because you just didn't want to sit around and and you know, sit on the couch all day kind of thing. But now I think maternity leave, some people are taking the opportunity to kind of pivot their career paths or what they were doing and do something completely different or the same as what they were doing, just a lot more flexible. I think there was a lot more flexibility. There's different kind of flexibilities. Like now there's that flexibility of working from home and maybe back in the day was flexibility of bringing the kids to work and it wasn't such a big deal. Voices were we, we work for ourselves. Beyond you work for yourself. Yeah. When you work for yourself, there is no maternity leave. Uh, no, well, there's no one else to do it. Who else is going to cover you? No one. Yeah. As far as choices go, there also weren't the choices for careers mm. like there is today. There was hardly yeah. any choices. Yeah. Like when I was at school and went to the um, uh, careers advisor, I was told I could be a florist, a hairdresser. Uh, full stop, you know, you didn't go through the choices there are today. I think you would have been a travel agent. I wished. (laughs) I was going to say, sadly not now. now. But, I mean, you both definitely have that sort of hospitality and tourism link. Uh, Mel, with your food tours and and Rayleigh, you definitely have a passion for it. I mean, you both have travelled so extensively over the years and, I know a lot of that is rooted in the passion for different kinds of foods and and finding it. And food and cultures. But Mm. maybe Mel can talk a bit about your food tours, what what you've always... Yeah, so I think I was very fortunate that um, mum and dad took us all away. You know, they saved up and we went to Europe when I was 13, 14. And imagine throwing three kids into a car and visiting 10 different countries and, you know, I suppose that's where 
that was installed, that type of exposure, which wasn't that common back in the 70s to do that. And then I, in turn, have done the same with my kids. I've really, you know, wanted to expose my kids to sitting in the local markets in Denpasar with being the only white people eating duck off a skewer and, um, you know, like going yamcha and eating off the streets wherever we travel in the world. So how my food tours came about... Um, so after my cooking school, I also did a lot of volunteer work and that's something I wanted to talk about that through my parents, that idea of supporting your local community has always been very strong. And from the minute I was born, it was always about giving back to your community, like we spoke about Montefiore Home. Mm. And I've done the same with my kids. We used to go and visit, um, you know, some family member. And um, my kids knew when you entered an old age home, there were a lot of old people that didn't have families. So they always were happy to walk up to strangers and to say hello and to have a conversation. And, you know, um, so I did a lot of charity work. I got caught up in big events and I did that for many years, volunteering. And then that also turned into me meeting Max Markson and then I joined Marks and Sparks and I spent many years doing large corporate events where we brought out Bill Clinton five times and George Bush Sr. and Raquel Welsh and I did ALP dinners and fundraising. You know, I used to raise in eight weeks from beginning to end half a million dollars for different charities from organising celebrities and invitations and programs and auction items and production and venues and staffing and volunteers and, you know, having super organised genes like we all have. Yes, you do. Yes. Um, you know, that, and, you know, as a, as a single mum of four kids, you've always got to be able to juggle a few different jobs at the same time. Um, but how my food tours in Sydney came about is wanting to get four kids out of the house and wanting to do something. And there's only so many times you can go to the art gallery. And um, so we used to go exploring the streets of Sydney. So we'd pretend that we'd go to... Um, Italy for the day and we'd go out to Haverfield and, you know, we would explore that area and um, to the Vietnamese community in Cabramatta and the Turkish community in Auburn. And that's really how I started discovering the streets. And you've really, and I know, and you've really taken it to another level because, you know, you can live in your own city and realise that you know, you've got your blinkers on, like you don't even realise that there's other things out there because... People aren't adventurous, that's right. Well, it's not adventurous or, you know, especially with food shopping, you know, it's just now, these days, it's it's more of everyone's so time poor, even though sometimes not, but you just, you feel like you are, you know, you've got food delivery. It's like, I can't be bothered to do shopping. I'm going to get it delivered to me. So it is nice to have that exposure and be able to just try something different and on top of that have the recipes to go with it that, you know, you always share because your recipes go from, you know, maybe you're like a, an atypical Australian, like modern Australian all the way through to all different countries around the world and all different skills as well from pickling and, I mean, I, I always, I'm always fascinated what you're cooking. I find it very inspirational. 
because of the Asian influence, Asian people rarely cook at home. What they do, particularly if it's only just one or two people, they go out and buy the takeaway. And that's why this has become quite popular here. Um, Indonesian men and Indian men are very good at cooking, not so much the Chinese. But that's how it's changed a great deal. People want different because they're experiencing it in their local suburbs. And the wonderful thing about doing your own shopping and especially in these different areas, <clears throat> you get to see what's in season. When you mm. go into the supermarket and you no see idea. something is cheap in price, that means it's plentiful and that means it's in season. Mm. So that means it's at, it is at its absolute peak. Yeah, but Melissa, many people don't know what these ingredients are. Like Friday night you served ladyfingers. Most people wouldn't know what to do with them. They're oh, delicious. Right. Okra. Most people don't have a clue what these ingredients are. Yeah. And that's yeah. Why well, you know, that's also through travelling. Yeah. Um, you know, I did a Greek Shabbat on Friday night and I did a shoulder of lamb and I happened to be somewhere and I saw um, beautiful, fresh okra and, uh, yeah, so I threw that into the mix. I guess you're lucky. Uh, lucky, no family members have uh, allergies. A- aller- yeah, or have they? You know, have they become a lot more particular as they got that's older? The thing with allergies. That's the thing with allergies. Kids that have nut allergies to overcome your nut allergy, they reintroduce nuts into your diet, peanut butter into a diet. Mm. That's how they do it. So in the Middle East, there's no kid with a no. nut allergy because from the minute you're born, so you're introduced. Yeah, yeah. You're eating. So that's what, anything with an allergy. You know what we've learned is we're all allergic to pets because I never was raised with pets. <laughs> but um, babies that are raised with dogs around them don't, don't have, have dog the, allergies. Yeah, yeah, they don't have the same allergies. But I think it's also that you exposed. You expose them very early onwards as well to all different kinds of foods. I'm not saying that's you know that's not always the case with some you know with some kids and and allergies are, are like part and parcel. Curry. They love spicy food. Even my great grandson in New York loves pickled cucumbers and spicy food. They eat everything. <laughs> so there's not do you, not one family member That's that fussy. is fussy. Yeah, they probably be ousted if they everything. Are. They just never eat. There is, there is. Of course, there is. Who? <laughs> <laughs> she wants a avocado, or you know, there are kids. Yes, of course, they don't like some things or whatever. For me, my kids. <laughs> dinner went out on the table. If you didn't want to eat it, don't eat it. Yeah, That's but you're fine. not getting don't another thing. It. But I'm not making mm. something else. Yeah. So, you know, after a few nights they're going to realise that they might be hungry and they'll have a little bit. What do they hate yeah. of your children? What do they dislike? No, my, my kids don't no, dislike sure anything. But, you know, one of them can't eat um, mashed egg because it gives them gas. Someone else <laughs> doesn't like melted cheese but they like um, grated cheese. You know, I mean, there's that sort of thing. That's not very particular, though. That's not. No. I don't know. No. But, you you know, it's still it's still amazing how the next generation, as much as your kids aren't involved in terms of it's their, 
you know, it's their part of their job, but they're definitely very involved and very confident in the kitchen. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, you know, and, and it's funny that you say that because in actual fact, I said to my kids, go and do and be whatever you want to do, but no one is studying food or going into, I don't want anyone to study food. It's a hard industry. It's a really hard industry. But they're all very good cooks and they produce a very nice meal. I was going to ask yes, they, that. They, well, they are all capable. All the boys are capable. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I always get the phone calls when Ash is at the girlfriend's place, you know, what's your recipe for hollandaise sauce? Or Izzy in Hobart, you know, mum, can you send me this recipe? I'm doing that. Or, you know, he bakes colour every week. Oh, my and, gosh. You know, the girls, they're all, everyone's great cooks. Everyone has their passion, what they like. Mm. Well, and everyone. What a, what, yeah. a, what a wonderful, uh, I guess, you know, you've been able to instill into the family. Well, it's know, very, that I is, think food's very unifying. Like there's 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 nothing quite like cooking together. There's, you know, because realistically everyone should be unified in the kitchen. Obviously, if you've got allergies, fine, that's, that's different. different. But th- I think it's a, it's a very unifying and very sort of community-driven thing. Well, sharing in as the kitchen. well. Well, I think it's important that you shared it because a lot of – I see other very good cooks would kind of take over in the kitchen and not oh, yeah. include the children. And I think that would definitely never have been what you would have done. I know that. Because I think Recently, that's important. Before Passover, Izzy was here from Tasmania and Shushi both had to come and learn gefilte fish, all as Shushi's already learned. They made gefilte fish, chopped liver, chopped herring, and they follow it through. They know exactly what. Very important. For me as a single mother, I'd come home from work. I really wanted to make sure that I was there for afternoon tea. Mm. And so I, you know, moved my hours around. I started working at 8 o'clock rather than 9 o'clock so I could leave early to be home for afternoon tea. And I think because I was on my own, my kids had to come into the kitchen and help me. Mm. And so as you said, Jordana, it is so much nicer to be cooking with somebody else, with people around you. So from a very early age, my kids were thrown into the kitchen and it wasn't because we wanted to have a fun little activity. It's because we wanted to get dinner on and then the idea that everyone cleaned up and we all chip in and it's really beautiful to see now as adults when we have a Shabbat dinner, everyone's up. There's someone at the sink who rinses, someone's stacking the dishwasher, someone's packing away the food, everyone's got their little routine. Mm. And their role, and we all know it's that's how we roll. That's you know what we do. Well, and the grandparents yeah. sit and watch. Well, As they I should. Guess, I guess you're entitled. You've earned to, it. You've earned it. I, I, I'm not. I'm not quite there yet. I, I'm. <laughs> I'm still. I'm still up and standing and washing. I mean, when, and when I when I do a family dinner, um, I'm happy to do it all. But that's it. At the end of the meal, everybody gets up and clears up and puts everything away. And I just watch. Oh, I think well-deserved. It is well-deserved. I think you've done enough over the years. I mean, between teaching and everything, it's not like you were just doing the the dinners now, for your family. You were doing dinners for other people too. And whilst the family's growing with all the boyfriends, girlfriends, fiancés, etc., it's got to the point where we often bring something. Now, someone 
does part of the meal because that's a big thing for us. Yes, to, to <laughs> let go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's lovely because it shouldn't. I mean, there's obviously just way too many of you. So well, I, I did an Indian meal recently, and everybody brought something, and it was fabulous. But it, we don't buy food. I have. N- I've never bought a cake or a birthday cake if I'm rushed. Very rarely. Um, I don't buy food cooked. We make it ourselves. And Mel, you? No, never do takeaway. Goodness, so good. Wow. <laughs> awesome to say. That's very impressive. That's very impressive. That's a, that's a big quote, I think, too. <sighs> I yeah. just don't do it. That's not our scene. Yeah. But you do like I, to go out. It's not like you don't like to eat out, though. What we do buy, I do go to chats with my half a duck, a Chinese duck. And I turn that into pancakes and then with noodles and soup, etc. But I don't buy cooked chickens. I think I bought one once in my life. And probably obviously um, hated it. No, it wasn't bad, actually. It was a <laughs> Shabbat dinner and there was only a few of us and we said we can't be bothered just do that. I, we fry our own fish. We do all that. Uh, I just can't think of anything else I've ever bought prepared. A kimchi. A- um, <laughs> You're allowed that. That's all right. Yeah, but we're not. I'm not a shopper. That's you save a lot of money making your. And you know, it's interesting how we all can still be working and and still be able to find the time to then come home and And make cook a meal. You do the same. I I love how you're nodding as if you get takeaway so (laughs) often. I'm definitely more of a culprit than you. Can't claim the same as Melissa and Rayleigh. It's just two of us here. When I cook a meal, it's never for two, unfortunately. It's very hard it's to change the portion control. Mum's the same. I make the portions into a container and if Harold feels like it's for lunch or dinner, we just eat it. Yeah, you're, ha- you're happy with leftovers. I can't imagine you t- wanting to throw out food. Never, never. No. I won't comment about somebody I knew who threw out a whole container of oil once, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remind you one day. Okay, okay. Anyway. I think I might know that. <laughs> Who that was? <laughs> okay, I, I, I had some neighbours for dinner and I bought veal to make my own schnitzel and there was four pieces which turned, they were big, and I ended up with too much and they hardly ate anything. So I put them into containers when how fancy is a, a um, not a schnitzel, a um, veal, what is it, was it tomato? and Parmigiana. Cheese. Parmigiana. There you go. There. <laughs> or if I cook rice and I make fried rice and there's leftovers, you know. Mm. So. Okay. Um, just we, we got two audience questions. Um, what food couldn't you live without? Okay, so for me, like in, in terms of ingredients and my staples, I think it would be sesame seeds, my chilli flakes, um, Cinnamon, I absolutely love. Um, what dishes I couldn't live without? Uh, I couldn't live without vegetables. I couldn't live without chili. Um, Garlic's not on there, obviously. Garlic, no? Ginger, yeah. absolute ginger, and the odd piece of chocolate. It's <laughs> a good one. Sourdough yeah. bread. Spices and are very much, very part much of your thing. Yeah. And, and cheeses. 
And uh, next question from the audience is, what is your favourite recipe to make? It's a really old plum cake recipe from Boba Sophie mm-hmm. and I've um, adapted it over the years and added arm meal, almond meal in it and um, it's a recipe that you can put the whole batter on the bottom of a pan and put all the plums on the top and bake it or you can um, peel, slice up about eight apples, mix it through cinnamon and sugar and layer batter apples, batter apples and make it beautiful. You know, so it's one recipe. It's a melt and mix. You mix the whole thing in a bowl, just egg, sugar, melted butter, flour, and you spoon it in. It's the quickest, simplest recipe. That's like one of my go-tos, which is what I I love. I'll I'll share that one with you. Okay, sounds delicious. And Rayleigh? Well, it's interesting. When I first started at the gas company, the woman who in charge there every Monday morning used to sit us in the auditorium spaced apart like clothed and um, she'd sit at the back of the room and fire recipes at us and say, write down the recipe. And if you missed an ingredient, you failed. <laughs> and through that, I memorised most of my recipes in my head. Now, I have people ring me all the time, this easy scone recipe, you know, a cup, three cups of flour, a cup of cream, a cup of lemonade, and they can't even get that together. <laughs> Well, it's true. It just don't. But you, you know what? It's either in you or yeah. it's not. Uh, uh, you know, Doug, you can give a recipe, as you say, to Some two people. Some people can follow it and it's And out one will turn out yeah. because they understand food and the other one won't. I understand that. But I believe truly that it's a living skill. It's like doing it, tying your shoelaces, learning to read. Learning to swim. It's a living skill. You can't live without I know, food. but it's not for everybody not for and everybody, you know, doesn't love cooking, but clearly that's not, yeah. that's not the case not the same yeah. here. Yeah. It's like picking up a paintbrush and working out what colours to use. It's not for everyone. No. Well, it's just no. natural for you both. So Yeah. And natural for you both, you know, with your oh. design. Oh, okay. oh, thanks. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm yeah, we're, we're good, but I'm pretty not good, good in the kitchen. Not, not to your level. Not I've, to your level. I've de- oh well, I've definitely um, mastered Mel's tiramisu recipe. I think that's <laughs> that's a favourite. Life's choices. And all. and what I love cooking, which I always say is from you, is the, my um, my chop well coconut coconut and chop chip. Uh, cookies that I got oh, with from the you cornflakes. with the cornflakes. Uh, That's like everybody calls it like mine, and, down mine, down and it's like really it was Rayleigh's. And she's got it on this recipe card. I'm not joking. It's like teeny tiny. And even though she knows the recipe off by heart, she still pulls it out just for I just think memories. it's just one of those things, you know, yeah. got to look at it anyway. Just in case. Beautiful. I love that. All choices. We are going to finish off with our lightning round questions. So one word to describe your relationship when Mel was a teenager. Loving, busy, um, connected. That's very good. That's very good. Well, that's three words, but that's good. Mel, what, what would you, how would you describe your relationship when you were a teenager? Warm, busy, creative, and I suppose... Uh, Hectic. Mm. And one word to describe your relationship after kids. Probably hectic. Hec- he- I was going to say hectic might 
come back into that equation again. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Busy, busy and close. Yeah. Taking close. Juggling and fulfilling, really fulfilling. That's nicer. It's nice to have that because I think there's a lot of more like generationally grandparents were less involved. D- definitely not, not in, not not in your me. case. Not in your case and, and definitely not for me. I was very lucky. I'm very lucky oh, with mum. My parents were never involved when I was having children. My mother and father were golfers. My mother never worked. I never saw her except when she pick. I never had a car, so she'd pick up shopping and bring it to me. But with Melissa, I'd go from work to her to hang washing out, help with the children, empty the dishwasher. So it was like a full-time job. Yeah, yeah. Mum worked. You know, my parents still worked when I had young kids. So I remember mum would call by on a Wednesday afternoon before she went to college and she'd have a whiskey and I'd be feeding my kids. So, you know, it's a different generational mum and dad. Mum and dad, she just told us now, they're retiring now because of COVID and they're no longer able to work. They've worked their whole lives. So, you know, they weren't, uh, you know, it was, that's how it is. That's how it was. Mm. Well, you've definitely earned the time off, that's for sure. Yeah. What characteristics, Rayleigh, do you think Mel has of yours? I mean, we definitely know your cooking skills, that's for sure. Determined, strong. Mm. Uh, strong. Uh, well, uh, strong is very good. And um, confident. Is that- confident. <laughs> is that all? <laughs> <laughs> Capable. I mean, I could rattle off a whole lot from the dictionary of yeah, you two. Probably like sweets. You know, mum and dad have a large circle of friends and I have that. I have a large circle of friends and, you know, so they've always entertained. We both like to entertain our friends and, you know, my friends know when they come to me, like mum and her friends, you always hear people say, I haven't eaten in days, you know. You always hear people say, I didn't have breakfast or, you know, I've been looking forward to this. And I think that is a connection mum and I have. Yeah, which is very strong. If I can just say in the reverse, it must have been very hard for people to have you both back. Like that would have been really difficult. Yeah. When I first got married, I'd hear people say, I can't, I have to get the food from David Jones because yes. I couldn't, couldn't compete invite. with you. But now uh, I hardly invite friends because some of them, they, they don't eat most of the stuff that we eat. They're not, they, they're not, they have never expanded their palates. And, and Mel, and would it, that be hard for you though to be invited back to other people? Yes, yeah, so a lot of my friends say, oh, you know, uh, I feel, you know, stress having you over. And I say, look, <clears throat> I don't have to make the meal. Please yes, I invite me. me. <laughs> Please yeah. invite me so I don't have to cook, you know. <laughs> I know. I just can imagine it must be obviously hard because people can't help themselves to compare. We don't yeah. expect. I mean, I'm happy with a little bit of grilled fish or mashed potato. I don't care. Mm. It's companionship. That's what it's about. And can I ask, uh, say, Mel first, most memorable moment in your relationship? Uh, You know, I remember one year when I was a young girl, I was seven or eight and I had pneumonia and I was home from school for weeks and my mum sent me off to a woman's home 
who was very famous in industry, and she taught me how to make the iced flowers that you used to have on wedding cakes. And um, and like Mum said, she used to make wedding cakes, and and then uh, you know I used to make the flowers for the wedding cakes. And I suppose with Mum, our connection is in the kitchen together. Mm. You know, it is that really special time where. We don't even need to talk. Like we just do our thing, you know, when we we work really well together and, um, you know, they're really lovely times. That's lovely. Rayleigh, would you say the same, The, the just the times of, you know, cooking together? Definitely. Um, or travelling together, um, yeah. Holidaying together, yeah, all those sort of things. Mm. Being with all the family, especially. But it is all around food. You know, if I find a new restaurant or I've seen a new Greek bakery, I say to mum, let's find a day and let's go out there and let's sit there and let's enjoy that experience. Actually, we took 18 family members away for our, my 80th birthday, our 60th anniversary, and there wasn't one board item for three meals a day for three days. Goodness me. Except for bread. That's amazing. <laughs> Everybody provided the food. It was a fabulous party. Mm. And and who out of uh, both of you, who gives the best advice, do you think? <laughs> uh, Melissa, Melissa tries to. <laughs> we have the same principles, exactly oh. the same principles. So... Somebody's calling you. (laughs) He'll get get the phone. He'll get the phone. Keep going, yes. How many times a a day do you call each other? Once, but maybe twice. We're not big on the phone. Melissa's always busy. I ring and I get the no answer bit. Um, That true, Mel? You know, depending on morning when she's on my work, depends on you know where I am, what I'm doing. But yeah, we do touch base once a day. That's very nice. So not big on the phone, and Simone, or that's a dead end. Either if I want her, I have to ring her at seven thirty on her way to school, or about six o'clock on her way home. Mm. We're just not able to chat. Everyone's got busy lives. Yeah. How often do you guys speak? So often. Way too much. So no, often. it's never way. That's terrible. <laughs> I mean, I had a friend who had a, a connecting thing from her home to a parent's home, but we're not like that. Are we, Mel? No. I'll, I'll, just, any- call, I'll just call just to fill time, you know, like if or if I just feel the need to, like, tell her something, even though I know I'm going to see her. Like I'll call on the way to her house. And, and then and then she'll and then say, hang up and then, and then she'll I'll say, come in the front door. Yeah, and she'll say, I'm here now. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll hang up. <laughs> we talk a lot. We talk a lot. That's nice. Yeah. I had to include your brother. <laughs> He's here. He's here all the we time. See, we see a lot we of see him. him. We see him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's difficult. It's the same with our son who's in Dubai and we Zoom occasionally, mm. you know. Yeah, time, look, international time difference isn't always easy and, you know, life gets busy, so it, it does happen. I speak to the grandchildren more than I do to my daughter. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good that they check in. That's very important. 
good that they do. Yeah, they're very good, good kids. That's very good. And I find with my kids, it's also hard. You know, it's before work, it's after work. And when they have their own partners, you feel that, you know, they will then tell their partners those things that they probably used to tell their mum. So, Mm. you know, that's just the cycle of life. It it is. Last question. Is there anything that you've always wanted to ask or tell each other but never have? No, we discuss everything. The day I die, what's going to happen when? Talked about eulogies the other day, didn't you, Melissa? As I say, you're very well organised people. Well, we do. It's absolutely essential that these things are said. People don't realise. Yes. You know, we are a very open family. We weren't talking about eulogies. Jordana, you asked me to write up mum's history on her career. Yeah. yeah. And I said to mum, just by the way, mum, this isn't your eulogy. <laughs> <laughs> just in case she was worried. Yeah. We do talk openly. Like I was having a discussion the other day about credit cards. And if you have a credit card where the male in the family is the holder of the credit and you have a spare. When you get to our age, my age, that's no good because, God forbid, my husband dies, I have no access to a credit card. You need to have everything in your own name. You may still have a shared one, but you still have to have credit cards in your own name. Your children need to know where your wills are and what to you know, where you want to be buried, all these things. No one but in terms of emotional, let's not look at practical. Yeah. <laughs> She's being let's very talk practical. About emotional things, you know, in terms of emotional, you know, I We well, obviously don't have secrets, that's for sure. Yeah, we don't have secrets. There are some secrets, but we don't worry about those. Well, I was going to say, you're, you're an amazing mother and daughter. I mean, it has been such a, I mean, we know you obviously extremely well, well, but it's been such a privilege and honour and just delightful to to hear all about your lives. And I'm very hungry now. <laughs> I ate breakfast before, but I'm very hungry now. Thank you. Thank you for including us on your show. And we wish you all the success in your podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you have a mother and daughter story that you would like to share, send us a DM on Instagram at Mothers and Daughters Pod. If you loved this episode, please subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss a new episode. Spread the love and share the podcast with your mum or sister or friend. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast. See you next week and don't forget to call your mum.